Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Mainline, where we seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Philadelphia's historic mainline and surrounding communities. Every week, we look again to the story of the Bible, the lavish grace of God revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website, libertymainline.org. Good morning, Liberty Church Mainline. It's good to see you as we gather for worship this Memorial Day weekend. I hope you're enjoying uh, whatever the plans are that you may have. As we continue in our worship service, uh, we are uh, continuing a ser- in a series on renewal. Uh, and one of the marks of the renewal of God's people and the renewal of the church is uh, an orientation towards others. And so that dovetails well, both in our series that we've been doing and also with the uh, focus that the communion is taking this Sunday. Uh, And if you'd like to see more about the different missionaries that are supported by uh, the different churches of our communion, uh, you can see in the announcements page that there there is uh, a reference to a part of web, a page on our website, uh, if you go under resources, I believe, uh, it's Global Missions, and you can see there's a variety of videos from people who are serving Jesus all around different countries of the world. So I encourage you, uh, if you want to uh, have something to do this afternoon, um, those stories are always incredibly encouraging, personally, I find. So with that, I invite you now to turn our attention as we listen to this short passage from God's Word. Uh, I invite you to hear the living word of the living God. Acts chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray for understanding of this passage. Our Lord and our God, we thank and praise you that the Holy Spirit is alive, active, uh, and is present in our midst, the creative spirit uh, that showers so many gifts on human beings. Uh, is also the one who comes and dwells with us, especially because of the work of Jesus, uh, and prompts us to know you and to love and serve one another and our neighbors. Father, we pray for that spirit now to give us understanding of this word, to see how you come to us and then send us towards others. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For about 10 years, uh, we live in Pennsylvania. And once in a while, you'd see a helicopter take off from the hospital. And when you saw a helicopter take off from the hospital, it was always a little bit startling uh, and also always a little bit concerning because invariably that would be a medevac flight. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden a helicopter. Uh, I have not. Uh, But helicopters are not cheap. You don't uh, do a daily commute unless you're a celebrity. You don't do a daily commute in a helicopter. But when someone's life was on the line, expense is not an issue. And so the question was in those moments, how do we get this person where they need to be to get the medical care, the urgent medical care that they need? As we see in our passage this morning, 
like medevac flights, Christian mission is is not cheap. It is costly. But the question for churches, for believers, for followers of Jesus is not the expense. It's how do we share the life-giving, life-saving hope found in Jesus to others who need to hear. The book of Acts actually tells the story of Christianity's first explosive growth from Jerusalem to Rome, the capital of the dominant world empire of that time. One step in what proved to be in history the global expansion of Christianity to become the most numerous, widely dispersed religious faith on the planet today. The passage that we just read from Acts 13 describes the launch of the first the first intentional missionary journey ever. And we could say it's our first introduction to Christian missions. So as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to just ask two questions and see the answers to the question of who sends and who goes. Who sends and who goes. First, who sends? That seems kind of simple, right? The church at Antioch seems to be uh, the senders here. But One thing interesting, first of all, the very existence of the church at Antioch is ironic and fascinating. Every account of the life of Jesus ends with the resurrected Jesus giving clear final marching orders to his followers. So Matthew's gospel ends with the uh, well-known instructions where Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Luke's gospel, first part of uh, the Luke-Acts combo. Jesus says, repentance and forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in my name to all nations. And then Acts starts with Jesus saying, in a passage we saw a couple weeks ago, you will receive the Holy Spirit to empower you so that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the final line of Mark's gospel is, as if you needed anything clearer and simpler, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Seems pretty clear. But if you read the book of Acts, this earliest history of Christianity, you may notice that over the first 12 chapters leading up to this passage, which describes roughly 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there is no purposeful and intentional and organized Christian mission. Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth, and early on, Christians mostly stayed put in Jerusalem. It's like uh, the internet meme, right? You had one job, right? Uh, The biggest initial geographic and ethnic advances of the gospel actually happen from involuntary movement of people in the face of persecution. And persecution-driven dispersion is why some Christians, uh, Christian Jews from Jerusalem actually relocated to Antioch, started telling their neighbors about Jesus, and planted this church of Antioch. Church of Antioch was remarkable in a number of ways. It was 
potentially the first urban church plant ever to exist. Antioch was the third largest church in the Roman Empire. It was 10 to 20 times the size of Jerusalem. And while it was smaller at 200 to 500,000 people than modern cities in terms of population, ancient cities did not have high-rises, police forces, or indoor plumbing. So it would be a difficult place to live in many ways. Antioch was also incredibly diverse. The Roman rulers uh, built Antioch, and they knew that whenever you put people together from different cultures, there's often tension, friction, and then sometimes explosions. So when Antioch was built as a city, not only was there a wall outside of the city to protect it from attackers, there were also actually walls within the city in order to protect the different groups of people from each other. But the confusing thing to onlookers was that these new believers didn't fit these old molds. And so people from every different quarter of the city started coming together and were joining, crossing the walls to worship Jesus together. They weren't this or that ethnicity or culture primarily. They weren't from this neighborhood or that neighborhood. They were some new thing. They were actually called, this is where the word comes from, not from followers of Jesus. They were called Christians. That was actually a label created by other people watching the way that followers of Jesus gathered across divisions. And that diversity was represented in their leadership, which you see in verse 1 here. Saul was from a, a different city, the city of Tarsus. Barnabas was from the island of Cyprus in the eastern Mediterranean. Niger means black, and Simeon Niger may be a black African, and possibly the same Simon Niger who carried Jesus' cross when he could no longer do so himself. Lucius of Cyrene is from North Africa, from what we think of today as Eastern Libya. And Menaean grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. He may have been a young playmate added to the household to help entertain the children. They were from all these vastly different geographical places and different places in the social hierarchy, but they were working together to lead this church that God had called together from all these different backgrounds. So, right, refresher. Jesus says, go. The church mostly stayed put, so God intervened in their circumstances to move his people around, and the result was the church at Antioch. So whether or not we follow the instructions purposefully, God is always at work moving his people around, gathering them together, and making Jesus known to those around us. The lethargy and the inertia of his people is not able to thwart the purposes and the activity of God. But here in uh, chapter 13, we see for the first time what we think of as traditional Christian missions, a church sending specific individuals to a new location where there aren't churches in order to gather Christian communities for worship mutual service, and service of their neighborhoods. Earlier, 
the Antioch church planters had actually been uh, innovative in preaching Jesus, sharing Jesus to people who weren't Jewish. That was new at the time. And here you actually see them being innovative again in that they, they are the first local congregation to proactively send someone out in order to help establish other local congregations in places that had not yet heard about Jesus. And yet, while the Antioch church sends Barnabas and Saul, it's very clearly from the passage, verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Sure, Antioch sent them, but they were following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, whatever it looked like for the Holy Spirit to, to speak, while the church was gathered together in worship and prayer, and they were fasting. Fasting is uh, simply a, a one of the ways that we facilitate prayer. It can be a uh, sorry, it can be a physiological facilitator to prayer because we can use hunger pains to remind us of our dependency upon God and to prompt us to pray in those moments. It actually can also be, and it might be in this situation, a logistical facilitator to prayer because if you don't have to uh, prepare and organize a meal, it can free up time in the day for a prayer meeting. So how does the Holy Spirit lead the church? It leads the church as she gathers together and is united together in prayer, seeking God's will and asking for God to provide the resources to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting. Leaders are important. Vision is important. But in Christian faith, there is always something more, always something more ultimate. In a recent book, the retired four-star general Stanley McChrystal debunks a series of myths about leadership, and one of those myths that he tries to debunk is that leaders start movements. McChrystal says, not true. Rather, in his words, leadership is this result of the interaction between individuals, the moment, context, and followers. And many times, the biggest common factor is when all of those things happen, leaders choose to lead in response to it. The church of Antioch and her leaders responded ultimately to the leading and to the calling of the Holy Spirit. So that was who sends, but who goes? Paul, uh, sorry, Saul and Barnabas. We know Saul better as Paul. And there's a number of reasons that they may have been uh, set aside uh, and then called to serve in this way. Antioch had many leaders. They had five leaders listed uh, in verse 1. So they have uh, enough leaders that they could send some out. Also, Antioch had recently uh, been prepared to uh, continue on without these two leaders. They had recently had a collection where they uh, had heard a prophecy that there was going to be a famine that would strike the, uh, that region. And so they, Saul and Barnabas had collected disaster relief funds from the church in Antioch in order to take them back to the church in Jerusalem, perhaps because the Jerusalem church was um, less prosperous than Antioch. And while they're away, the church in Antioch would have seen that they were able to continue on without these two men present. That had also set the two of them up to know that they worked well together and had experience working together. And God had prepared opportunities for them to pursue. 
Uh, if you continue reading on in chapter 13, you'll notice where they go first. They actually go to Cyprus, right? And why did they do that? Did they take a dart and throw it at a map on the board? No. Where's Barnabas from? He's from Cyprus. And uh, uh, as were many of the unnamed Christians who started the church in Antioch. Antioch was actually together with the island of Cyprus and the region of Cyrene in North Africa. Those together had formed the ancient Ptolemaic kingdom. They were a region within the Roman Empire that had certain shared characteristics and shared history, kind of like different areas of the United States have their own unique shared culture and history. The Antioch church doesn't start by looking at the most difficult field uh, in order to go to. Instead, the church prompted by the Holy Spirit send Barnabas and Saul where they may be best equipped already to tell others about Jesus and connect Jesus to their particular story and history. You might know some people who are mission-focused, and you might have an orientation uh, and passion and interest in this way. Sometimes uh, uh, we can be drawn to the most exotic, most different, most difficult fields for ministry. I actually had a really good friend from college uh, who was uh, felt passionately committed to do medical missions in the Muslim world, uh, and he has successfully been doing that for a number of years. And that's fine if God calls you in that way, as he called uh, my friend. But we all too often neglect closer and easier opportunities. I heard one missions director say, if you don't tell people about Jesus where you already are, There's nothing about traveling from one continent to another that's going to magically make you a better evangelist. Also, for us as a local congregation, as we think about ourselves, you can often reach the world by simply going one neighborhood over now, right? Like Antioch, every community has its own divisions and differences, and even if we don't have to cross literal walls between our sub-communities— Uh, Many of our cultural divisions can be subtle or self-reinforced because we tend to gravitate and live near people like us. So in his book, Our Kids, uh, the Princeton professor and sociologist Robert Putnam highlights the polarization of different neighborhoods and how you can have increasingly poverty and wealth becoming more and more concentrated and have a poorer neighborhood and a way that here in Philadelphia. For us here at Liberty, we can support global missions overseas. Some of us uh, do. We support that through our communion of churches. But we can also reach the nations right here on the main line. It might be a neighborhood or two away. It might just be some of our students or classmates. But whether we stay or whether we go, mission is costly. Even before uh, they had sent two of their most gifted leaders, we had seen how the Antioch church was materially and missionally sacrificial. I mentioned this already, the prophecy of a famine. And uh, the Antioch church had committed to serve the church in Jerusalem. They sacrificed to alleviate food insecurity during what would be a regional 
crisis, even as God has given us opportunity as a congregation to partner together with what has become Small Things Philly to meet food insecurity in our city. But the Antioch Church is also missionally sacrificial. As beneficiaries of Jesus coming to them, the Antioch Church willingly released two of their most gifted leaders to do the work of preaching and teaching about Jesus in other places. Sometimes actually sacrificing people is harder than sacrificing finances. But in the church, to sacrifice uh, in this way, they did so joyfully and then heard the results of that as people returned, as Barnabas and Saul returned with the message of uh, people hearing about Jesus and celebrating and gathering to communities of worship and praise for the work that Jesus had done for us. Uh, missional sacrifice often feels costly. We know this here at Liberty Mainline. Uh, we disciple people who have since moved to all different countries, uh, all different parts of the country and all different parts of the world. God has called us to serve in a place that is highly mobile. There are going to be a lot of people who are here for a few years before God moves them elsewhere. God has called us simply by the place where we exist to be ascending church. And that cycle requires us to trust God year after year, that as God sends people out, that he also bring new people for us to welcome and to serve. And the thing that would be challenging about that is not growing weary as we welcome and extend ourselves to new people. Rebecca and I uh, had an opportunity to study through a fellowship that she received in Switzerland, Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, Geneva, like a lot of Switzerland, has a lot of international agencies. So there are new people coming through the city every single year. And we realized that after we had spent a year in Switzerland, we had had one Swiss family actually invite us to their house. We actually got to know a lot more of the international, other international people there who, who were there for a variety of reasons. And it dawned on us that if you live in a place like uh, Geneva, um, that the new people coming in all the time, it probably gets exhausting, right? To extend hospitality and people uh, continue on elsewhere. And yet God calls us to welcome and love those that he brings into our community. The sending of Paul and Barnabas was costly. It was costly to Paul and Barnabas who had to uproot their lives. It was costly to the church at Antioch, but it brought joy to those who heard about Jesus because of their travels. And really, they could face that disruption, that discomfort, knowing that all that they were doing was actually reflecting the very heart of God himself. The Bible tells us that just as uh, Antioch was a diverse but unified, the Antioch church was a diverse but unified community of worship and joy, that was actually a little mirror of God himself, who is one God in three persons. And Father, Son, and Spirit together enjoy continual, eternal, mutual love and peace and unity of life and purpose. But God's love is creative. It is expansive. And he made the world and us to enjoy him and one another. 
But we fall short of that vision, and we see in our divisions, we see in the, the distortion of his world that we're like cracked mirrors, right? We're like uh, the distorted mirror of a, a carnival funhouse, right? We have shattered or distorted the peace and the beauty that we were created to reflect. And in response, God himself is ascending God. The Father sent his son Jesus to us to lead us back to him, to lead us back into uh, the purpose that we were created for, to restore us to our right selves. And Jesus is the God who goes, who leaves the safety and the prosperity of heaven to enjoy the insecurity and the vulnerabilities of our world. And the Father and the Son together then send the Spirit so that God dwells with us and within us, and God the Spirit sends us and equips us to be like him, to be like the God who sends and has many people to call to himself around the world, and he also has many people to call to himself here on the main line in Philadelphia. So, and he will continue that work until he fulfills the promise that, to paraphrase the prophet Isaiah, good news of forgiveness of sins and resurrection hope in the name of Jesus fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the good news in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we thank and praise you for your work among us. We thank you that you prompt us, you move us, uh, you make us uncomfortable at times, and you bring, bring us out of our patterns uh, in order so that we can move into new life, new service in uh, ways that will be life-giving to others and incredibly enriching, if challenging, for us. Father, we pray that you would be uh, guiding us, prompting us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in us. And we pray that ultimately, uh, when we see the cost of following you, we would think first and foremost of the cost that you took on yourself in sending your son for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that either through or in spite of the human messenger, you heard the gracious invitation of God to the abundant life of love and service found in the transforming person and work of Jesus. If you've been encouraged by this podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, or subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, check us out at libertymainline.org.